Yeah, pray with me. Father, thank you so very much for this wonderful time of worship uh, that we've experienced. Thank you, God, that you, uh, you do right our wrongs. Thank you that you do set us free. Thank you that in you we have the victory of Jesus Christ. And God, as we uh, journey into your word today, I want to ask God that you'll take us on an incredible journey. Father, I pray against the powers of hell. I pray against the powers of Satan having influence in this place. I pray this will be holy ground today. I pray, Father, that the Holy Spirit would fill the atmosphere. That, Father, your children, those you have called and adopted and caused to be born again, would be encouraged and enriched by the Word. And then, Father... If there's a friend here today who is on a journey, perhaps, came today, don't understand why, that maybe the truth that they're going to hear today would impact their lives. And Holy Spirit, you could draw them um, to the Father. So this is your time, and we commit it and dedicate it to you. Thank you for divine appointments today um, that were kept by your Holy Spirit. And Jesus, we pray this in your precious name. Amen. Well, good morning. We are so glad that you are here today as we continue our journey in the Star Wars um, series and the the sub-series that we have talking about the armor of God. Well, let me ask you a question. Have you ever found yourself in a predicament like this picture? Have you ever seen this before? Ever seen that? Now, for those of us, by the way, who are probably... 50 and older, we are very grateful. Because back when we were kids, you had to run and get the Kodak camera. There was no such thing as cell phones. There may have been an 8 millimeter camera, but you didn't have those handy. So just for the purpose of the millennials here, the younger folks that are here today, I want you to know there's not much photographic evidence, but I promise you we have done this. All right. We are, it's amazing how we get our heads where they don't belong. And then we seek someone to try to help us. And sometimes we succeed and, well, sometimes we don't. Here's dad trying to do his thing and going, you know, maybe I can get it. And there's another picture where he had his foot pulling on it. And I am as I'm as I'm watching this and my portion was a video. I'm saying, go to the garage and get the hydraulic jack and put it between the two and push it out. And you know, when we get our heads in bad places, and then it seems like no one can help. Well, this young man was very creative. If you'll show that short video, watch this. I know what. Okay, how are you going to get out? Ta da! <laughs> hey, he ought to run for president one day. He could get us out of some tough places. There's no doubt about it. Well, unlike this young man, this young man was able to get his himself out of this difficult predicament. The truth is, you know, too much, too often, we spend way too much time with our head stuck where it doesn't belong. And unlike our friend here, most of the time, we can't get ourselves out. And so that's what we want to talk about today. We spend too much time 
Not not our head stuck between a rail, but maybe perhaps we spend too much of our time believing a lie. Now, for some of us, we are going to, some of this is going to resonate with some of you so much, it resonates with your pastor. I told my wife today, I said, you know, this is one time when I am preaching and this is just shouting into my own life. I want you to know that. So often we spend so much of our lives and we've believed a lie that, that maybe from childhood has been placed upon us. And we leave our head stuck where it doesn't belong. Maybe you were told as a child or, or as a teenager, you know, you're ugly, um, you're, you're dumb, um, you're, you're unintelligent, you're not wanted, you're, you're worthless, um, you're fat. That was one from my life I just wrestled with my entire life. What, what lie is it that you've been told about yourself that's become part of your thinking part of your mentality. And you spend so much of your time with your head stuck in that place. It might be a wife who has been uh, put down by a husband or a husband by a wife. It may be a child. It may be a student who was raised in a home where there just really wasn't much affirmation. And because there's no affirmation, you spent your time living a lie. Lisa Turkist um, is the founder and president of Proverbs 31 Ministries. And um, she kind of came up with a formula and then illustrated it very, very well. She said so often in our lives that there is a line, L-I-N-E, that's spoken to us, and that line becomes a lie that we believe, and then that lie becomes a label, and then that label becomes a liability. In her case, she tells tells the story that when she was 17 years old, and uh, she was in high school, and a young man, she, he was 17, she was 17, this young man walks up and says these words. You would be really beautiful if you didn't have fat ankles. You'd be really beautiful if you didn't have fat ankles. And that so wounded her in her heart that she started believing that lie about her. She wasn't beautiful because part of her was not perfect. And she developed a label and believed a label. She, she assumed a label, and I think she called them cankles because her calves were so big and they went right into her ankles. And then the part that she really, at this particular point, did not share but is so true is the liability part. Because so often, what happens is, when we believe that lie about that, that there becomes a liability in the way we respond to certain circumstances. Um, I could give you multiple examples in my life about this very, very topic. You know, again, I've already mentioned weight. let, Let me share one with you. You know, pastors live in glass houses. And um, I've received numerous compliments through my life about, Dwayne, you're a good pastor, and we love you and we appreciate you. But somewhere a long time ago, someone said, I wasn't a good pastor. And it was someone that I respected and cared about. And that person, for whatever reason, said those words. And even though it wasn't true, I assumed that lie. And then that lie became a label that I wasn't a good pastor, I wasn't a good pastor, and I wasn't a good pastor. And I believe that label and that lie. Now, let me give you the liability part of that. Some of you have, may, have heard 
an inappropriate response from me when something like this is said. Hey, you haven't been to see so-and-so recently. You really need to go see them. And I say something like that. Yeah, but you don't understand. I was there three weeks ago. You don't understand. You don't know my calendar. You don't know. I've worked the last three weekends. And I start, and you're going, you know, what's going on? And what's going on is that many years ago, a line was spoken that became a lie, that became a label. And that label has caused me to over, or causes people to overreact to certain circumstances. You know, you've heard people... You walk up and just casually something like, put on a couple of pounds, didn't you? And you get this explosion back. And you go, what is going on with that person? And what's going on with that person is they've stuck their head where it doesn't belong. And they've lived, they heard a line that become a lie, that became a label. And now they have this liability where they over-respond to certain situations. Does that make sense? I mean, you know, it just, just, it's just so true. And it's not just a few people. It's a lot of people. So, so we spend our head, we put our head where it doesn't belong. And we believe sometimes a line, line which becomes a lie, which becomes a label, which becomes a liability. And then sometimes, though, we have the opposite problem. Sometimes people are so full of pride and so full of arrogance, um, Sometimes a guy who's pretty good looking, I don't have that problem, but, but um, someone who's really, really good looking will act like with women, now ladies, can you identify with this, that they treat you like they hung the moon and you should fall at their feet. Can I have a witness? So often, so often it happens and, and we, we have people that and not, they're not, don't have a, a label lie problem, they're just so full of themselves. Perhaps as a child, they were told over and over again, to the exclusion of honest criticism, they were just told that, that they were perfect, that were beautiful, that were good. And they fully expected, they fully expected that to be the rest of their lives. And they don't understand it when people don't think that they're the most wonderful person in the world. I don't think it's an accident that Paul put in Romans chapter 12 and verse number 3 that, For I say, through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. Because when you get your head stuck in the clouds thinking you hung the moon, the natural tendency is for everyone else to be underlings. And that's not good either. And sometimes we get our head stuck in an imaginary world. And this is really, really crucially dangerous. When, when, our, when our mental thinking is such that we, we are out of touch with reality. Okay, we live in this imaginary world where you have these expectations where everything ought to be. Um, no, no spouse. You could have been married to Paul. No spouse is ever good enough. No job is good enough. No boss is good enough. No church is good enough. No pastor is good enough. Because in the imaginary world that we sometimes put our heads into, the standards are so high that no one, not, including God, can meet them. You find yourself in imaginary conversations, not only with the people that you think fail you in this imaginary world, but even with the God that you serve in this imaginary you know, I call it the Christmas syndrome. Christmas is a really big deal at our house. 
I mean, we decorate, we celebrate, we have a good time. And more than once, see if you can identify with this, more than once when Christmas, the presents are open, the, the meal is, is eaten, and the dishes are in the dishwasher, there's this all of a sudden, and you almost say to yourself, what's wrong? Well, it just wasn't as good as I imagined it. You plan this wonderful, perfect wedding and marriage, and it's just not as good as you imagined it. You, you go to school for four years, and you start a career, and it's just not as good as I imagined it. Anyone identify with that? So, so sometimes it's a lie that we pick up, Maybe when you're 17, maybe when you're 5, it may have come from your mom. It may have come from some, some man or woman, some girl or boy that you can't even remember their name. But that lie, that lie became a lie, became a label, became a liability. Maybe you find yourself and you could instantly identify and say, well, you know what? I think pride might really be an issue because, I mean, after all, I'm perfect and no one else is. Or maybe in this life, you're just not happy because no matter what comes your way, no matter how good it is, it's just not good enough. And the bottom line, we got our head stuck where it doesn't belong. Now, here's the thing we've got to grasp and, and get a hold of. The bottom line is this, that Satan loves to play mind games with us. We don't understand the importance of our mind, our brain, our thought process. We underplay that a whole lot. He does not. He fully understands the playground that he can have with our minds. And the games that he plays are anything but fun and games. They are devastating and they are destructive. Now, here's the cool part. God knows this. God knows this. And so, so God gives us a huge amount of information in his word about how to protect our minds. It's no accident. It's no accident when, when Paul was describing this armor of God. It's no accident that he included this thing called the helmet of of salvation. In Ephesians in chapter 6 verse 14 through 17, this is where we've been for a while. We read these words. Stand therefore, Paul says, having girded your waist with truth, and we talked about the importance of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, we talked about that. Your feet shod with the uh, preparation of the gospel of peace, we talked about God's peace with God and peace of God. Brent talked about taking the shield of faith for which, with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. And then we come to and take the helmet of salvation. Paul knew. And Paul, I can just imagine Paul as he's, as he's wrestling around going, how can I illustrate this? Now, you need to know that, that Paul, I think my hickey thing just came loose. There we go. Paul was in a, in, under house arrest on a Roman prison when he's writing this letter to the Ephesians, to the church at Ephesus. And he's, he's looked around and goes, well, you know what? This piece of the Roman uniform does this and this piece does this. And he gets down and he goes, how can, how can I explain, how can I best illustrate 
the importance of God's protection of our mind. And perhaps he looked outside the doorway and there stood a Roman soldier and he had this helmet on. I've got a picture today of what that Roman soldier's helmet may have looked like. This is actually, this is not a reproduction. This is a Roman helmet. Now, you'll notice a couple of things. First off, the purpose of the helmet was to protect from the broadsword. Now, the broadsword took two handles. We actually had one here when we did a, a sermon series on the Word of God because it talks about it being a sword. And a broad handle, a broadsword would have a place for two hands like this, all right, would be three to four feet long, and really not particularly sharp because the purpose of the sword was to crush and not to cut. And the Romans, and the enemy of the Roman soldiers, or the Roman soldier had them also, he would swing this with both hands and come around aiming at the head, the purpose again being to crush the head. So the Roman army came up with a helmet like this. And notice how comprehensive it is. I, in fact, when I found this picture, I just found this picture this morning. I said, we've got to include this. If you'll notice, guys, you'll, you'll notice this. Do you see the, the ridges that go up the sides and the, and the back, the front, those are solid iron. Notice it reinforces the side. Without that, a broadsword could come and crush the skull, skull because the, the uh, side cap would cave in, cave in. So the Romans put reinforcing steel on the sides and on the front. Notice the front there, that big part that comes across. Again, what's, what's the enemy going to do? He's going to come down this way. And comprehensively, the helmet protects that also. Notice it's the back. If he comes behind, there's something here that the sword, broadsword comes down, it will protect the neck. And of course, the cheekbones and the sides are protected. So when Paul saw this, he said, just like the Roman helmet comprehensively protects the head of the Roman soldier. So God has given us something that comprehensively protects us from the broadsword of Satan. And you'll notice when in those scriptures in Romans chapter, or excuse me, in Ephesians chapter 6, he says, put on the helmet of what? The helmet of salvation. Now, our common thought is, is that we, when we think about salvation, we think of a one-time event. That, and it certainly was that. We think about salvation being that event in the past. And we'll talk just a moment about that. But it's so much more than just the forgiveness of our sins. It's so, let me say that again. It's so, now I'm glad for the forgiveness of sins. But it's so much more than just the forgiveness of our sins. Listen. It is the liberation of our souls. It's the liberation. If you're writing down a word that we don't often use, although Victoria's song masterfully mentioned it today, freedom. He has made us free. But so often we don't hear that word connected with salvation. When we hear salvation, we instantly think about this Roman cross, which is so magnificent. The Christ of the cross is so magnificent. Where he suffered, he bled, and he died that people like you and me could have forgiveness of our sins. That we could come relationship. He was born, he lived a sinless life, and then he died for us. For us. The sole purpose of him coming to earth 
was to die that we could have forgiveness of sins. And then, as you've heard already about the gospel, and you hear it week in and week out, the amazing part is, black or white, yellow or brown, American, European, Asian, uh, Middle East, it does not matter. That any man, woman, and child who is willing to believe and turn from their sin and follow Christ can have forgiveness and relationship with the creator God of the universe. That still amazes me. It still just amazes me. It amazes me because I know us. I know me really well. And the fact that Jesus would die and make this opportunity available to common, ordinary people like us and like folks around the world, I find just totally amazing. So, so that, is, that is salvation, but it's bigger even than that. You know, Jesus said in John eight thirty two, he said, now listen, you shall know the truth. Not the lies that you've been taught about yourself. The labels misapplied. You will know the truth and the truth will set you free. When we grasp the great significance of that verse, it changes everything. Because again, salvation is synonymous with liberation. And Christ came that we could be made free. Now, here's something that we don't get. We hear it a lot, but I really want to make sure you understand and grasp it. Because again, if salvation is liberation, then we need to understand all that this Roman cross and the Savior of the cross represents to us. So let's go over one more time something that you may have heard that you need to hear again. Because I'm learning as I get a little bit older, it's not enough to hear. We've got to apply. We've got to believe. All right? So we're going to go back. First off, I want you to once again understand that if there's a date in your history, that date when you realize that Jesus Christ was the Son of God and that He died on a Roman cross, just like we just talked about, for, for people like you and me, and there came the realization that I was a sinner. That we had sinned against holy God. And there was nothing we could do about it. And that the wages of those sins was death. It was eternal separation from God. We believe then that Jesus died for us. And we come to a conclusion that even though we've sinned, if we are willing to turn from our sin, all this took place the day you trusted Jesus, whether you knew it or not. You had to come to a conclusion that I'm a sinner, that he died for me. I'm willing to turn away the words repent. I choose to turn away from my sin and follow Jesus. Trust me, you can't follow Jesus without turning around. You can't trust Jesus without falling around, turning around and following him. So... The bottom line is this. If you are a believer today, if you're a disciple, if you call yourself a Christian, there's, there's a day in your past. There must be a day in your past when you are freed. There's our word. We were liberated from the penalty of sin. That's already happened. There's a day in the past. Now, here's another part. Somewhere in the future, there's another day. And we don't know when that day is. I don't think we want to know when that day is. Okay? Now, for those of you who are church folks, we understand about the rapture of church. But the truth is, you know, Jesus could come any time. But there also the truth is 
that that day involves our death. In other words, one day, Brent, there's going to be a last heartbeat. There's going to be a day for each one of us that we're going to have the last heartbeat and we're going into glory, we're going into heaven because we're Christ followers. So on that day, and a day in the past, we were freed from the penalty of sin. And there's a day in the future when we're going to be freed from the presence of sin. We will no longer be in this broken, broken world. We will be absent from the body and be present with the Lord Jesus Christ. And at that point, we're freed from the presence of sin. So you got those two dates? Over here, a date in the past, when you trusted Christ, you became a Christ follower, you're free from the penalty of sin. A day in the future, when the last heartbeat comes, and you're going to be free from the presence of sin. Now, how many of y'all like sandwiches? Yeah, I, I do too. I do too. One of my favorite sandwiches is not two pieces of bread with nothing in the middle. I mean, I've had some weird sandwiches. I've determined that before I die, I've got to go back and visit something. When I was a kid, about eight years old, again, we weren't very rich. And I'm not even sure why we had peanut butter, but we did. I used to take a couple slices of bread and I would um, like lather it in peanut butter. I mean, you know, you people who make sandwiches, peanut butter sandwiches, you know, like, like micro thin. Let me tell you something. If you're going to make a peanut butter sandwich, put peanut butter on it. Get serious with it. You know, as God was lavish with His grace, get lavish with the peanut butter. Now, that's not the weird part. I'm assuming because the selection was limited, I would then reach into the refrigerator and get the mayonnaise. I know. I know. I know. Rick is back there going, yes! He finally preached it! Yes! I would just goop it. I mean, I'd just get me a big old wad of mayonnaise and spray it on that sucker and eat it. And I liked it. I think I got the flu one time and saw it again. And so I never ate it again. I think that was the the ending thing. I like sandwiches with something in the middle. Well, your day in the past is one slice of bread. And your day in the future is another slice of bread. But in between is this wonderfully incredible process called sanctification, called the Christ walk. And in this process, now we are free from the penalty of sin, we're going to be free from the power of sin, and this process, when we trusted Christ, we have the victory over the power of sin. We are freed from the power of sin. But this process that we call from day one to day, whatever the last day is, this process that, that we walk is when we learn, we learn to walk in the freedom over the power of sin. It looks like us becoming more and more like Jesus. This is a huge... Now, in the pers- in perspective of, of eternity, I know it's not, but it's a big chunk of what it is to be a believer. And part of that process is learning to think right. Learning to think right. I'm so afraid as your pastor that too often we think about that day in the past and you go, I'm saved and that's the end. 
And when I get to this end, then I'm going to die and go to heaven. Oh, honey, as Bill Gaither said, there's a whole lot of living in between. And we are living in a broken world. And God loved us enough not to leave us in this broken world with no defense. And that's what we need to discover about how we think in the process of living. Experiencing liberation, freedom over the power of our sins. The Bible says this in Galatians 5.1. It is for freedom. Say freedom. Yeah. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. In other words, he did not set us free from the penalty and the, and the, and the power and the presence of sin. He, he didn't set us free to remain in bondage. He set us free that we might be free. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Now, ask yourself this honest question. How are you living? How's that working out for you? I'm telling you, most people would say, I don't feel very free. I still feel like I've got the same problems with sin I had before. And frankly, so often the Bible seems like bondage, not freedom. Wow, we've got some understanding to do. We've got some understanding to do. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. And then he says this, stand firm, stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by yoke of slavery. Paul is saying, listen, it's for freedom It's for freedom. It's for freedom that Christ has set you free. Now, for goodness sake, don't go back and live in bondage. I'm telling you, if you're here today and you're like your pastor and you've somehow bought a line that became a lie, that became a a label, that became a liability, that bondage of that lie is not what God wants for you. And frankly, and you know, you know, this is not a secret. It's not a secret to you, and it's probably not a secret to those around you. If you find yourself going, God, I bet you're glad that I'm on your team. God, I didn't create the world, but you did consult me. If you find yourself puffy and full of pride, that's, that's a bondage. It's a type of it's disobedience and bondage. And God didn't save you for that. And God didn't save you to live in this imaginary world that you're so discontent in. He saved you to appreciate this world, spiritual world that you're in. And Satan wants you to believe the lie. He wants you to be puffy with pride. And he wants you to live in that imaginary world because when a person lives in an imaginary world, their world is a world of disappointment. That's normal. Your normalcy, if you live in that world, is just disappointment. That's what you have. That's what you expect. So the process, this process of living our lives, um, from from that point to that point, this process, the, the process of understanding the freedom over the power of sin in our lives, living that out, understanding that, and applying it to our lives, deeply involves our minds. Our minds. Now, you need to know something. God knows this. Satan knows this. And we need to know it. It's hugely important. You know, it really does matter how we think. I know, I know. 
There's too many books written about the power of positive thinking and all that. That's not even what I'm talking about, and you probably already figured out and know that. But it really does matter how we think. You know, Caroline Leaf is a neuroscientist. And probably more important, she's a very strong believer in Jesus Christ. And she goes all over the world teaching. And again, let me, I'm trying to make sure you understand her credentials. She is so well-respected in her field. I mean, she's a nationally known expert in the study of the brain. She tells us that the average person has about 30,000 thoughts a day. Well, let me clarify that. The average woman has about 30,000 thoughts. Men have 12. Okay. No, no. no. She, says, she says men or women that we have like 30,000 thoughts a day. Here's what she says. And, and she shows, when she teaches this, she shows it with CAT scans to back up. You can actually see this happen. She said that as we think, and this is true of every person, as we think, there are neural pathways, there are, there are tracks, um, there are brain ruts that are developed on our brain. I mean, it, it happens. You can, see them, you can see them as they develop. Now, here's the amazing thing. See, Psalm 139 says we are fearfully and wonderfully made. And boy, is it right. So she, she shows pictures and she'll take a person who is steeped in darkness, deep, toxic thoughts. The ones who believe a line that became a lie, that became a label, that became a liability. And these dark, dark thoughts, as they appear on the brain, actually look dark. They actually look toxic. And you can watch these. They can take you know, a, a scan and then a scan later, and you can actually see the progress and the new forms of these things going on in your brain. This is true. This is what Bible teaches, but now science is catching up. But here's the amazing part. She says in the same way, backed up by the scientific evidence, in the same way, when a person bathes their thinking process in the Word of God, you can actually reverse those tracks. She has physical evidence. Physical evidence. As, as this person changes their thought process, that the dark tracks retract and disappear, become lighter. It's amazing. It really does matter how we think. And so she says that between 75 and 95% of our illnesses and disease are impacted or caused by our thought process. In other words... For those of us like myself who would tell you, yeah, there's a, there's a line that became a lie, that became a label, that became a liability, you know, impacts my physical health. I told Judy something. I said, you know, it's amazing. You know, back in the older days, mom and dad could eat bacon and they could have all the eggs they wanted. They had real butter that they ate on their toast. Okay. The, the pie crusts were made with an amazing thing called lard. Oh, yes. If you, listen, don't die 
without someone making you a pie crust made with lard. Because I'm telling you, it is incredible. What's amazing is that you go back to the 1890s and 70s and 60s, people ate that stuff. And yeah, now, now granted, a lot of them died young, but they didn't die young because of the lard and the eggs and the bacon and all that. They died because of lack of medicine. You could get an abscess tooth and die because there were very limited antibiotics and the like. But today, we have all this wonderful medicine, and you wonder, why aren't we living to be 125? You know, some people say the Bible is designed to be about, live about 125. And I think the answer is stress. We've got the medicine, so we're living longer. But imagine a world where we were free from all that toxic thinking, that stuff, and with the medicine we have. Just a thought. Just a thought. So it matters how we think. So, the question becomes then, how do we turn the sucker around? How do we do this? How does that happen? Well, we're going to look at one short scripture, which is James one twenty one, And then, I need to tell you to come back for the rest of the story. Because tonight we're going to go over those three points on the sermon. I kind of baited you. I want you to come back tonight and see how we can really begin to understand how can we erase the lies? How can we have a more accurate picture of ourselves? How can we be embraced and feel comfortable with what is our reality instead of our imaginary world? Well, James one twenty one. James, now let me just say, James is the half-brother of Jesus, okay? So they had the same mom, different dads. You know, Jesus had God as the father, literally, and James had Joseph. But they were raised in the same household, so he's a half-brother. And, and James, by the way, thought Jesus was crazy. You know what changed his mind? The resurrection. <laughs> you know, when someone, someone calls their own death and resurrection and pulls it off... I don't care if you live with them or not. You kind of have to believe it. And James became a believer after his big brother resurrected from the dead. He became a great church leader uh, in the early church. Here's what James, the half-brother of Jesus, says. He says a lot in James. But here's what he says in this verse. Therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness. In other words... You play a role in this process. The Holy Spirit is your power. He's your strength. He's your guide as a believer in Jesus Christ. But you play a role. You play a role in that. So he says, our role is, in this short verse, there's so much more in our short verse, you know, lay aside. Make a choice. Choose to lay aside that filthiness, that toxicity. Lay aside that toxic thinking that you've had. And the overflow, I like that word, the overflow of wickedness. That stuff that sloshes out on people when you're around them. Lay aside that stuff. Make a conscious decision to choose to allow God to work in your lives through this process that we have from the day we're saved till the day we die. Make that choice. Now, now, clarification, you can't, Do it on your own. The kid was able to get his head out of the rail. This is beyond us. We have God and we need God. 
I needed a Savior on October 26, 1975. I'm going to need a Savior the day I die. But I want to tell you something. I need a Savior every single day of my life in between. Every day. Every day. See, I think, I think we sometimes go, okay, God, you got me saved. I know I'm going to heaven. I got it. No, you don't. No, you don't. You need Christ. You need the Holy Spirit every single day. But James says, you know, lay aside this, this toxicity. Lay this stuff aside. And he says, receive with meekness, with humility, with lowliness. Again, that's, hey, God, I need you. The implanted word. The implanted word. The word that is in you. Receive it and make it a part of who you are. Make it part of your spiritual DNA. Again, hear me, hear me, hear me. Glad you came today. Glad you listened to the message. But unless you're willing to take this stuff and, and, and plan it and apply it to our lives, it's just a message you heard. It's just a message you heard. We have got to reach a point of understanding that if God is going to change us, We've got to get him, his word into us. We've got to apply what we hear. If not, it becomes a great pep rally. But we leave out and still lose the game out in the parking lot. But when we receive with meekness this implanted word, it changes us. It changes us. And then he says this word, which is able to save your souls. Now, Who's James talking to? Hands down, no doubt, believers. So there's something here that is more than salvation. He's talking about when he says, save your souls. He's talking about what I talked about. We need a savior every day. Part of our soul, guess what? And listen, I'm not pulling this out of the air. Part of our soul is our, our intellectual capacity. It's part of what makes up our soul. It's able to save our souls. The Word is able to save our souls. The Word is able to change our thinking process through the power of the Holy Spirit. Wow. Wow. Now, some of you are, are you know, the glass is always half full, and you've got your feet on the reality, and you may go, cool, okay, do I, I, I pre- nice message, but, you know, it's just not me. Okay, it's cool. Before today's over, you're probably going to run into someone who needs this. But most of us, Live in this reality. At some time or another, we, we had a lie and a lie, a label and a liability. Somewhere in our, in our world, we think too much of ourselves. Somewhere in our world, we get out of touch of reality and nothing seems to satisfy because in our imaginary world, nothing in the reality that we live in can measure up. You know, in my bathroom, actually in Judy's bathroom, there's this thing she has on a shelf. And I actually, I think I have it memorized because um, I stare at it you know, when I'm in there. And it says this, you know, it's not who you are that holds you back. It's who you think you're not. It's not who you are that holds you back. It's who you think you're not. And it kind of breaks down like this. As long as you think you're not worthy, that you're not beautiful. That you're not redeemed. That you're not worthy. 
something will change. It will not change. And we have got to, we have got to believe what God says about us and not what Satan believes about us. We've got to believe what God says and not what Satan says. And that can begin today. First off, if you're here today and you've, you're here and, and you know, you've done the church. You may have done church before. But maybe you realize today that this is not a part of your life. See, if all we do is come to church, it's religion. When we encounter the Christ of the cross, it involves a relationship. It's a change. And maybe you're here today and, and you've gone to church before, but you realize through this and what I've said about that, that you're not truly a Christ follower. You may be a good person, you may be religious, but you've never met Christ. For me, I was in church all my life, and when I was 21 years old, I finally met Jesus. Imagine that. My friend Brent's going to be standing down front in just a moment. And part of this decision time, we're going to have the team sing a song, and we're going to have you stand in just a minute. And part of that decision time is, we want to answer your questions about Jesus. If today you're feeling something pulling you, you don't really understand what it is, but you feel this, this desire you know, to, to know this Christ and this desire to be able to call God Father, and you can't really explain it, that's the Holy Spirit pulling you to Jesus Christ. And we don't have all the answers ourselves. God's way too big for me to have all the answers. But I do know enough and plenty about grace and forgiveness and what he done for, has done for us in the world through Jesus Christ. And we'd love to share that truth with you. And you know, I don't know where you are in your thinking process. Um, I just know one thing. It impacts a lot of people. I've been doing this pastor thing for long enough to know a lot of us wrestle with our brains. We spend too much time with our heads stuck where it doesn't belong. I hope you'll come back tonight. I really do. Um, there's three things we're going to cover tonight. But even right now, maybe, maybe you want to come to the altar. There's nothing special about it. It's not magical ground. But maybe you just want to come and have somebody pray with you and say, Okay, God, this has been a deal in my life long enough. Whether it's the lie part or the pride part or the imaginary world part. It doesn't matter. And just say, God, I can't handle this. I, it's, it's hurting my marriage. I've driven my kids far away. It's tearing me up. God, I need your help. And you know what? You'll find him with open arms. You'll, you'll find him with open arms. The, the lie that you've heard about that you'll always be a failure is not true. That because all things are possible with Christ. All things are possible through Christ. So this is our decision time. If there's anything we can do, of course, if you feel led to join our fellowship, we'd love to have you. Come see Brent. If, if you're a believer and you've never been baptized, come see Brent. We'll tell you about that. And again, if you want someone to just pray with you, come see Brent. And we'll tell you about that too. Let's pray. Well, God, thank you very much for the privilege of sharing your word today. It's true, it's alive, and it's real. And Satan has played his games long enough. So we are praying in Christ's name for victory today. The victory we already own to be lived out in our lives. May this day, September the 18th, 2016, be a game changer for many in this room and many who listened on the radio. 
may we, may we experience the freedom. Because it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Let us not return to the yoke of bondage. And Jesus, I pray this in your precious name. Amen. Brief, you'll come stand.